The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Guest today, Andy Levin, has returned from a country devastated by its greatest natural disaster on record this past January of 2010. As a journalist, he reports conditions on the ground during a recent four-week tour. My guest today has worked as an independent journalist for over 20 years. As a photographer and writer, he charts the humanitarian condition through powerful visual imagery and compelling articles. As part of his work, Haiti has featured during a recent tour earlier this year. Andy Levin joins me today to share experiences and describe conditions on the ground where some 250,000 people lost their lives during its worst natural disaster on record. Andy, welcome to you. Thanks for having me. It is a great pleasure, Andy. Uh, what I'd like to start off with is your location. I understand that you live and work in New Orleans. Perhaps that would be a good place to start here. Yeah, could you just give me a, a description of New Orleans uh, in, in the aftermath of the Katrina uh, event? How is New Orleans these days? I think I think New Orleans is is, is doing pretty well, uh, David. It's um, it, it obviously it depends on who you talk to. Um, some people are have, have yet to been able to find their way back here. People have had had to leave after the storm. Um, some of those people might tell you that things aren't going quite as well. Um, many of the people who are living here would probably tell you that things are in some ways a little bit better than they were before the storm. Um, that some of the problems that we had uh, pre-Katrina have been ameliorated slightly um, in the wake of the storm. Now, did you cover the Katrina event, Andy? I did. And what are the contrasts uh, that you see between that work and the work that you have been involved in recently in Haiti? Um, the, the main difference is um, here, I was living in New Orleans. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. I'd moved to New Orleans a, a year before Katrina, and um, I was living here. Uh, in an apartment um, when the when the when the levees failed, uh, so I, in some ways I was part journalist and part victim um, in that particular story. And and some of the things that I had to do um, when, when the when 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 the city was flooded um, were, were also based on needs of helping people out here. I didn't have to do that in Haiti. I mean, I think it's a lot easier to. Um, fly into a place where there's been a catastrophe and document it um, than it is to have something like that happen in your own hometown where you have to deal with issues of being of concern for your neighbors and friends and, and more personal um, responsibilities that one just doesn't have when, when, when dealing with strangers. Nevertheless, though, you must be terribly 
impacted emotionally uh, when you visit somewhere like Haiti uh, how, how do you deal with that I, I, it's an interesting background that you state there uh, being in Katrina where you are part victim and, and part uh, commentator um, how does that af- how does that affect you uh, with the with the work in Haiti specifically I think personally it makes it a little bit easier for me because I, I feel that having been through something like that, I can bring some of my understanding to what I'm doing. Um, I think photographers have different ways of dealing with that, and everybody has um, a way of understanding what, what they're doing. For me, it was sort of um, articulating maybe a little bit of my experience, and, and it made me, made me feel less self-conscious about photographing things that were happening to other people. Uh, having had something like that happen in my hometown as well. Um, having said that, the, the situation in Haiti was so disastrous that, you know, it's just it's hard to get a grasp on that. And partly, um, I think when one is in a situation like that, it's sort of uh, it's a focusing on the job at hand. What is the uh, differences in the output uh, between Katrina and Haiti, Andy, in in terms of the the, the visualization, the the I suppose the lyrics of your photography, the the way that you write, would there be specific differences uh, between those two paradigms, uh, as far as a viewer is concerned? Would they be able to see those differences? I don't think so. I, I think in, in, I think that my kind of my my approach is sort of. Um, consistent across stories like that. And, and New Orleans and Haiti are very similar. Many of the people um, from New Orleans came from Haiti many years ago. Um, there's a lot of cultural similarities. I felt very much at home there. So I think there's not... Uh, I, I, I don't just I, I don't change my style depending on what I'm shooting. The, the most important thing to do is get images out to show people what's happened and also to try to accompany those um, images with some kind of text that makes sense to explain to people, well, what are you looking at and, and what does this mean and you know, what, what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, you started out clearly as a photographer and then you began to write. In this world uh, and in the work that you've produced specifically from Haiti, given that that's really what the hub of this program is about today, uh, is there, a, in your mind, a stronger, powerful message in the visualization uh, more so than the articles that you write? That's an interesting question. I think people really want to see the pictures and the photographs are compelling and, and um, people are very interested in it. At the same time, I, I don't think the photographs really can address some of the larger issues that one is dealing with in Haiti. And, and so it's important to write and, and, and talk about what some of those things are. I mean, especially the, the first pictures that came out were so graphic and so brutal, and many people um, were deeply disturbed by the violence of what they saw. This was in the mainstream news. And after that, I, I, I think that um, you stopped seeing a lot of pictures. So I think it's important to show other aspects besides the the, the immediate impact of the earthquake and the I- images of all the, the bodies and the and the and the uh, the chaos that, that happened in the first few days after, go a little bit further and look in, in a broader way at both the earthquake and at the re- uh, the reality of Haiti also. Now, what was the reasoning behind you visiting Haiti, Andy? Uh, clearly, that was that there are risks associated with that. Um, 
risks uh, for your own personal safety in terms of uh, um, health uh, and, and for and, uh, other uh, obvious reasons. Um, did you have to consider it uh, before you took this challenge or was it just natural to you to take up on this? I think the decision to go, I think, I think it, for a photographer or for a reporter doing a, a story like this, you just decide to go and you take the risk. And if you think about it too much, you probably won't go. I felt that I would be okay, and I would be okay with the consequences, and I wanted to go. I, I planned on being in Haiti about that time anyway as part of another project that I was working on. So I was all ready to go, um, and the earthquake happened two weeks before, so I really had to readjust my priorities. But basically, I think one just says, well, I'm going, grab the cameras, get the clothes, uh, you know, bring enough money, go, and, and try and stay safe. And, and I never felt threatened. I, I mean, physically, there was never a threat. The Haitians are, are very, they're basically peaceful and, and accepting people, I think. Uh, sometimes they can get exacerbated and um, there can be violence. But for the most part, I never felt threatened. I, I, most of the work that I did, I did on foot by myself walking around Port-au-Prince um, in areas that had been really badly damaged. And I must say, I, I never at any time felt threatened, even in the middle of uh, riots, uh, rooting looters who were basically rioting, fighting over the things they're taking from stores. And uh, I, I never felt threatened at any point in time. Going back to your arrival, what were your first thoughts when you arrived? What were the the landmarks or uh, was there anything in, in terms of uh, human activity or landmarks or buildings that first struck you, first took your eye? Well, well let, let, me, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit and explain it. At the time that I went into Haiti, we couldn't fly into Port-au-Prince. So I went with a group of doctors from New York and we flew into Santo Domingo. Uh, we stayed there overnight and then the next morning we drove into haiti um from from the dominican republic it's about an eight hour drive in and um we were we were stopped for about two hours on the border but there was a lot of traffic between the dominican republic and haiti we got there at night uh and um it's funny because i i remember thinking and looking around and at the time i wasn't sure what i was going to see at all I, i kind of half expected that the whole city would be devastated it'd be nothing there so at first i mean i was overjoyed because um towards the airport and, and almost all the buildings were still up we didn't see a lot of damage um and so i was quite happy now as we got farther up the hill started to see things that were more and more disturbing and more buildings that were down but uh to answer your question specifically i saw two haitian couple uh, a man and a woman walking holding hands past demolished buildings as if nothing had happened and 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 in fact there were thousands of people out that evening as if nothing had happened at all well is that a is that is that a sign of trauma i don't know i uh, in their case i just think it's a sign of resilience they're resilient people and that they've been through so much that they are able to kind of coexist with situations that for most of us would be impossible. I mean, they've been through revolutions, they've been through dictators, they've been through starvation, they've been through violence. Um, and here they were sort of going on with life 
as normal. Now, now it, in the, when the sun rose, I found other things, but um, that was my first impression. Now, uh, do we really know in this country how bad it is over there, Andy? Uh, you, you know, we, we have seen a lot of uh, photography, uh, a lot of commentators over there on uh, the the news media delivery stations, but is it a, is it a lot worse than we could even imagine? Uh, I think in some senses it's worse, and in some senses it's better. It's better because there are areas that were not affected, and, and life goes on um, in those places, and you know people people have a life. I think it's worse in that the number of people, uh, how hard they struggle, and, you know, the, the possible ramifications of the conditions they're living in are pretty grim. So uh, I, I would say it's both better and far worse, and, and, and a big challenge especially because um, they're not circumstances. Many people in Haiti are living under circumstances that just can't continue. Now, overall, though, was the destruction worse than you had imagined it to be? It must be very hard to even take that in. I mean, where you've really got that intense, focused distraction, it must be... I I suppose there's a difference for somebody like yourself who sees the asset destruction, the, the, the buildings. But then when you start looking at the people, whether or not they have lived under a dictatorship or a tin pot uh, ruler or whatever it is, it still must be terribly hard uh, for them. And it must be quite hard for you to to watch these people, whatever the circumstances that they're living in and whatever they've been used to before. It, 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 it's true, but um, I think the thing, one thing that people... They seem happy. I mean, I know it's a strange thing to say, but they seem happy. And uh, even in camps where you'd expect that people should not be happy at all, they seem happy. And um, kids would come up to me and they'd hold my hand and they want me to show the little rock that they were living under with a little tarp over it. On the exterior, they're accepting. I did see some, I, I did see many things that really deep, did deeply upset me and the lack of medical care you know, the uh, cruelty towards children, um, those things bothered me quite a bit. Also that some of the people were living in places, I think, where they they may be susceptible to to flooding and, you know, they they swept away and and many, many people could be lost. Many thousands of people could be lost. That was very disturbing for me. Generally, though, on your drive-in and generally when you look back at it, are the roads intact? Is the transportation system still operating? Is it still functional? Uh, the, road, the, roads, the roads in Haiti were never very good. They're basically, I think, in most cases, what they were before the earthquake. Um, Port-au-Prince is built on three hills. Um, the downtown part where the government buildings were um, and the port uh, is sort of the base of it, and, and then, in, in order to, to when, you, when you're traveling in Port-au-Prince, it's always up and down one of, you know, maybe three roads, and then there are a lot of smaller roads that, that are crisscrossing. Uh, everything is passable. There, there's no problem with that. Some of the roads in the in the countryside are another story. Um, Jacmel is the main, one of the main cities in Haiti, uh, and it's to the south and over a mountain pass. That that road is 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 damaged and, and very vulnerable. It's possible if there's a 
a, a, a big rain, that road could be washed out, and that would be a big problem. But just on a geographical, in a geographical sense, are the areas of destruction defined, or is it spread out unpredictably? So when you wouldn't even expect it, when you when you drive around a corner. Yes, I think so. In Port-au-Prince, it is most most of the severe damage was in the downtown area, and also parts of Delmar, and then. But after that, um, it can be. It can be. You can come around a corner, and there can be blocks where all the buildings are down, and then next to them, blocks where no buildings are down at all. So it's it's completely sporadic, except for downtown and some of the other larger places around town, like Rue Delmar. One of those roads that goes all the way up the hill. Up and down Rue Delmar, many, many, many buildings are down, and, and many people are homeless. Now, if the uh, those outer areas that that you refer to are undamaged, um, out in the country areas, and and it's clear they're undamaged because there's there, there is not that build up. Um, is there any ability, or is there any organisation for the people in the worst hit areas to actually move out to those areas and find shelter in in those areas and and be helped by the people who live in those areas that are undamaged? The UN is just now um, opening a camp about eight miles north of Port-au-Prince to move people from the most vulnerable camp, which is called the Golf Course Camp, up in Patientville. Uh, to this to this safer area, the golf course campus is in a ravine. There's about seven thousand people there, and they need to be moved because they're they're of all the camps that's the most uh, at risk for flooding. Um, that this is the first time that we've seen anything like that. When you entered into the worst areas, you entered into these camps. Uh, what what were the saddest scenes? And not trying to create any emotional uh, disturbance in the in this conversation. But what were the saddest st- scenes that you saw that could have been averted? Quoting uh, family life, uh, the treatment of children, and was there any pattern that you saw in, in those areas in in which this was all occurring? I I would I think the general conditions. Are, are threatening to children and babies. I think there's a, uh, a very a great threat for um, outbreaks of infant diarrhea. Um, it's been discussed by some doctors who, uh, one doctor who in fact was responsible for disco- discovering some of these new flu viruses has, has commented that there's great potential for um, an outbreak of uh, this particular problem and that it, that it potentially could kill a lot of children. Um, there's, there's no sanitation. There are not enough latrines. The uh, waste is, is stored in the evening and thrown out next to where people are living. The stench is, is awful. Garbage is burning. Um, children are playing in these areas. Children are having to retrieve uh, objects that are dumped uh, to build houses from. Uh, the children are expected to carry large amounts of material around. In many cases, girls, young girls, are being asked to transport materials because their, their fathers are, are, are unwilling to carry these things. And uh, they, they kind of use the children, uh, in some cases, almost like mules. I found that to be very disturbing. Uh, there's a lack of medical care. Uh, there's some, I, I saw children with uh, conditions like. Um, what, what appeared to me to be water on the brain, uh, where the parents were saying that the doctors couldn't do anything for them and they didn't have enough money to go to a place perhaps where the kids could be cared for. 
Now, in um, these in these areas, Andy, um, yes, uh, were there medical facilities set up? Were there shelters set up that that were organised to handle this, or was that uh, inadequate? It's it's the people. I think the the, the doctors are doing a fabulous job, um, but I think that they're, 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 the the task is is just too great. Uh, there are there are clinics um, that come to some of the camps from time to time. And they can only take care of a minority of the people there. Uh, there are uh, many of the hospitals were destroyed. So the uh, NGOs, uh, like Doctors Without Borders, will set up uh, tents outside the hospitals and, and, and treat people and are doing a fabulous job. But in order in order for someone to be treated there, they have to be able to get there. And in some cases, the people can't get from where they are to where the doctors are, or they may not even know where they are. In order to get people uh, from these areas to medical facilities, whether they're temporary or permanent, uh, what is the organization from the Haitian government uh, and what is the organization by outside authorities like the UN uh, and these many um, uh, relief agencies over there? Is there organization that you could see or is it still uh, very sporadic? It's, there's, no, there's, there's very little organization. Um, and the Haitian government is almost not non-existent. I mean, they, they don't. Um, they, many, most of their buildings were destroyed. They were inadequate in many cases before the storm, um, and were totally dependent on the NGOs for everything. And, and now the NGOs are overwhelmed. They, the NGOs try uh, have a cluster system. They try to allocate their resources to better or worse extent. Um, it's, it's hard to tell, but they're struggling. And no one really has a handle on that. If you have limited government control, and it's, it sounds to me as if there's very little, if any at all, how do they keep a lid on violence? How do they keep um, uh, guerrillas out of these areas, uh, looters? How was that working? How did you see that? In terms of the, the situation on the street, I think the people police themselves to a certain degree. There, there, has, there has yet to be any organized resistance to the government, although I suppose that could be coming. Um, when I was there, there was a tremendous amount of military. Uh, the UN, uh, the U.S. has put many of its soldiers out, but the UN um, is, is still very active and was was before the earthquake. Uh, and so far, they've been strong enough to prevent the kind of problems that you're talking about. But we're only three or four months into this. And one thing that I have learned from Katrina is that it's a long, long, long road and that any of these things could happen and that there is great potential for, for violence and unrest if, if things aren't dealt with in the right way, no doubt about it. If I may, uh, Andy, I'd just like to go back before we go forward. Um, was there access to potable water uh, in, in, these, uh, in these shelters, in these camps? And you, you talked about uh, infant diarrhea. Um, yes. Given that the rains are on the way and perhaps they've already arrived, uh, what do you think in your mind are the concerns over uh, mosquitoes, bacteria, uh, viruses? Is this a, it could, be, could this be a real problem? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great concern. And I think that um, people have articulated that before. If people live in unsanitary conditions, the possibility for all these kinds of diseases are, are, are great. And, and, and though I'm not a doctor, 
Um, I think that it's easy to say without going too far that the possibility of dengue fever or, or malaria or outbreaks of some strange kind of disease are, are, are very possible if people are allowed to live in really unsanitary conditions. As, as far as the water goes, um, water is brought to the camps by various NGOs. Um, I, I've read alternatively that the water source is good, and then some have said that there's there, there, there's bacteria in the water as well. I'm not sure. I, I personally left Haiti with some real gastrointestinal problems that I'm just getting over now. Um, so I suspect that there's a I suspect that things are not that good. So I'm afraid about. I'm very much afraid about the, the medical issues and also, especially toxicity, and the possibility that people have been exposed to um, elements because of the destruction. That in the long range are going to long term are going to have uh, implications on their health as well. Now I, I, I'm guessing then in that case that it would also be uh, redundant for me to ask the question: Was there any uh, any sort of mosquito control? It doesn't sound as if there's any sort of controls at all. I mean, in New Orleans we have spring; they, they have nothing like that. Um, I, I would suspect that in, in as as it gets wetter, and, and thankfully the rainy season, which officially starts in April but can be in March also, it hasn't rained that much, which is great. And it would be great if it doesn't rain at all. But it, but but, it, but, uh, but nevertheless, if it does rain, then there can be some real problems. I'm suspecting. Oh, absolutely. I, I, there's no the potential for disease and potential for development of diseases that none of us may be immune from are great. I mean, it's not a healthy situation. And it's not, it's, it's like, a, I feel it's like an open sore. And that unless we, uh, as in the world community, uh, find a solution, that it's, it's, it's going to be something that's going to come back to us again and again and again. Now, you had indicated that you yourself came back with some illness. Was yes. there, and I have heard reports that there have been malaria uh, outbreaks uh, within the relief community, uh, relief uh, worker um, community. This is suggesting that anybody coming back from Haiti could really bring back some pretty awful diseases back to the mainland, uh, that has to be a concern. I would imagine so. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not a doctor and, and, and I don't know that much about the CDC. Uh, I really don't. I really couldn't. Uh, I can only speak on my own experience. Uh, I, I, I didn't take any preventatives for malaria. Um, I was bitten by a few mosquitoes. Um, even if you are, even if you do take a, a prolaxis for malaria, it won't do anything about de dengue fever eat anyway. And we know that that exists. So you're absolutely right. It's a um, there. There is a risk. Now, absolutely. When you departed from Haiti and came back to the United States, uh, came through the port of entry. Was there any uh, due diligence? W was there anything set up uh, to check the medical condition of of uh, people like yourselves or relief workers returning from Haiti? No, no, none no, at all. Um, well, well uh, I think that, that now I can only speak as to my own experience. I had to go back through Santo Domingo, so my flight actually went from the Dominican Republic to. The U.S. Whether or not they're checking people who are flying in from Port-au-Prince now, I, I don't know. Now, when you were you first arrived, uh, did you immediately find somewhere safe to sleep? Is there still 
uh, are there still hotels? Uh, were, were you safe at night? I made two. There were two separate trips. My first trip was uh, about a week after the earthquake. I went in with doctors, and there were there were very few hotels. We stayed. We slept outside. Everybody at the, the first few weeks, everybody was sleeping outside because of the danger of another earthquake and perhaps buildings collapsing. So for the first few weeks, people slept outside. There were a few hotels that were uh, allowing guests to stay by their pool. Um, the group that I was with, um, New York City Medics, uh, stayed in a compound uh, quite close to downtown, and we all slept outside. It must be uh, a paradox. It must be so difficult to be in that situation and watch one part of humanity uh, sitting in a hotel, sitting by a pool, and then enter into these these camps and enter into the worst areas and see absolute devastation. Absolutely. I mean, but it's a paradox. And we can find that paradox almost any place. I mean, if, if you go to Los Angeles, you can find people you know, living in mansions and not too far away people living on the street. So... Um, it's a, it's a, I think it's a paradox in the world. We have this extreme range. In Haiti, the camps are larger, but I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, it, it's a, I, I certainly would agree with you, though, that there is that to deal with. And, you know, I, from my own point of view, um, we slept outside, and, you know, it's, uh, I, I, everybody was sleeping outside, and it was almost like a communal, uh, communal outing. When you um, when you were transacting business, or you you had to get some cash, or uh, were the uh, institutions uh, still operating? Was there a banking system, uh, food markets, restaurants, etc.? The um, when I first when I first arrived after about a week, the people were starting to sell food on the street. There were no restaurants open, or maybe I think there was one restaurant in Paysonville that was mostly serving meals for relief workers. But um, the the Tamarchen, which is the which is the Creole for the small merchants, were already at that time bringing in food, uh, selling food. People were cooking food on the street. So I basically bought food um, from people on the street, and um, that was fine. There was no problem with that. Since um, Hotel. There have been hotels opening up, um, but although they're limited, uh, it's hard to find a place to stay there right now for a, a journalist or even an, an, an aid worker. Now, when you were there, Andy, were you um, were you around when there were some crowd control problems when the UN had to intervene and and I, and I from what I read, there were some quite violent clashes. Were you um, were you covering that? I didn't see any of that. I saw, um, mostly I saw, for, for the most part, I think um, things were fairly orderly. I did witness some looting and some clashes between the police and looters. Nobody was killed, thankfully, although people were shot early on. While I was there, nobody was killed. Um, there was downtown, there were gangs going around uh, trying to break into warehouses, uh, destroyed buildings, trying to pull out whatever they could. And sometimes uh, they'd fight among themselves for the goods um, right in the street before the police arrived. That was about the that was about the extent of it. You have a, a good picture of this. You you have been there very recently. You've seen the activity. You have very very um, 
cleverly uh, articulated for us the conditions which frankly sound appalling um do you think that there has to your mind been enough effort enough support by agencies over here um there there are uh, talks uh going around that the uh, charities have not done enough uh, that a lot of enough of the, uh, the the funding that the charities have received has, have not made their way to haiti uh, would you say that that was reflected uh, in the situation over there unfortunately yes um, I saw very little evidence when I first went there of aid. Um, as time went on, we saw more, but I, I'm, I'm afraid that um, not nearly enough of what people are donating is getting through. And if it's getting through, we're just not really sure where it's going. And I think there needs to be some accountability. I think that people are, frankly, tired of having groups raise money and, and not seeing any, any result. And I'm not trying to say that nothing is, is getting through, that there are good things being done, but there's not enough being done. And for all the money that's been given, hard to account for where that money has gone. Um, uh, from what I understand, uh, as much as 1,000 per Haitian person has been given, it, you don't see any evidence of that at all. People sleeping under, under blankets, uh, people still trying to get by on less than a dollar a day. Frankly, it's very disappointing. Does that indicate a failure of uh, America as a culture? Does that, does that uh, I, I think I had mentioned this to a congressman um, uh, on a program that maybe this is not our finest hour. It seems that people have short memories uh, in this country or, or any developed country. Um, would it be fair to say that, that we have we had all the activity, we had the entertainers and the celebrities, um, and we had a, 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 a lot of things going on at the end of January, February, but it, it seems almost like we have forgotten about it um, at, at the worst time. Um, it, it makes me wonder uh, if, if that is the case and that this funding is not getting through. What does that spell for their future over there right now? It's hard to say. I mean, there's there's another ten billion uh, supposedly in the pipeline from different countries. Um, I, I don't think it's been determined how the money is going to be spent. Uh, as far as the as far as the efforts here, I think people have uh, a, 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 do have a short memory, as you say, and I think they're a little lazy. I, I, I frankly, I hate to say, I, I, I can't I can't say anything, but that they're very willing to make a donation by pressing their cell phone button of $10, but when it comes to following up and really making sure that that money has gone to the right place and that things are happening um, to really rectify the situation, their, their attention span is um, is short, and they're on to the next story or the next go to buy an iPad or they're watching, they're downloading uh, something on their iTunes. And I mean, we all love these things, but it's a distraction. And I think that, uh, that, 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 that more than that's going to be required to deal with some of these problems in the long term. That, that, that the issue of countries like Haiti and, 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 um, and countries in Africa um, are going to require a lot of attention, and, and that our, our attention span needs to be longer. It, it, it more is involved than just pressing a button and donating ten dollars to the Red Cross and expecting that something's going to happen. It's going to take more than that. Uh, so, it's accountability on behalf of the, the charities that, that clearly right now is not there. Um, uh, 
given that you've only just left there, at least not very long ago, do you have any sort of uh, positivity? Are you are you optimistic in any way that you're going to return there in June and see uh, conditions uh, improved markedly? I'm I'm almost positive they're not going to be improved. I don't at all. I don't I don't I don't expect uh, any improvement um, in in the short term. I think it's. I think that if if they are going to in fact move seven thousand uh, from uh, from 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 the uh, golf course camp to a UN camp, that's great. But uh, I, I don't expect to see anything um, this quickly. Although it, it it would be wonderful to see that. Uh, I'm just not sure the mechanisms are in place, uh, and there is no real government, and the NGOs haven't really pulled it together quite quickly enough to make things happen. So my expectation is that things may still get worse before they get better. I, I'm, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen, but my fear and possibly expectation is that things may get worse before they get better. Out of interest, Andy, is that indicative perhaps of your experiences during Katrina? Well, I think so. Uh, we're five years, this is five years um, since Katrina. And uh, New Orleans has made a, a lot of progress. It takes a long time, and we're only three or four months in to uh, the recovery from the earthquake. And, and Haiti presents huge problems as compared to New Orleans. Haiti has no government. New Orleans has a government. New Orleans is in the United States. Haiti is close by, but but very much isolated. Um, and and the problems are so so much greater. We really need to make sure that this ten billion dollars that's been committed by um, by the donor nations, we need to make make sure that that, that makes a difference. Well, one has uh, to one, the, one has to ask the question: of Where on earth is this money? If all this money has been collected over recent months and weeks, where is it? Where's it gone? Uh, it, um, se- it, it seems to be a complete moral and ethical breakdown in our society. Not only uh, the government as a, a regulatory body, um, but also the, the private sector in, in not in, uh, assuring immediately that uh, this money reached its destination along with the, the organization and the professionals that needed to make that work as a tool. I agree, I, but I think I don't know how. I I, I don't think that um, many of these charities are responsive. I mean, um, to, to mention one, the largest one, the Red Cross, uh, is under a lot of criticism for not being transparent. And um, I don't know what it would take to to find out where the money goes. Well, it's not that easy to find out or to audit audit a company like that. It is a, an American company, and, and as you say, the flaw may be in our system because uh, we have a system in which it's possible to to um, operate less than transparently. And the organizations that collect these monies have been through this before. They're just waiting for the next disaster to happen because um, they know what the drill is and they know how to get the money and they know what to do with it. And it, it, it happens time and time again. I mean, even, even with Katrina, a lot of the money, we think, here disappeared into uh, space very quickly. Uh, it was, it's, it's almost an art form. I mean, once something happens, the powers that be know how to move that money around very quickly. And before the blink of an eye goes, it's gone. Now, for, for, for example, the United States government 
initially pledged some hundreds of millions of dollars to rotation aid. Well, what happened with that was some of that money was that actually um, the army billed against that for its own expenses and going over there. So much of the initial millions of dollars that people heard about went towards these soldiers um, who went over and really didn't have much to do. If you look back in history, though, Andy, it would be fair to say that that, that America has can be seen as, as a country of great generosity. We have certainly uh, been very supportive throughout the world uh, uh, over the decades. Um, we seem to have impaled ourselves right now on being uh, in, in countries where, frankly, I'm not absolutely sure what we're we're achieving but we, we have done our best but is it not an irony that Katrina which wasn't that well dealt with nevertheless did receive immediate attention as best as that could be delivered and yet I, I, are we saying at the end of the day that, that Haiti is just being left to its own to its own end right now I don't think we're at that point yet. Uh, 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 Haiti, I mean, it's 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 been a long story, and it's going to continue to be a long story. I mean, all the issues with Aristide and uh, his being elected president, and his 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 forced departure, and his returning, and then he was uh, he was forced to leave again. All the politics involved, uh, the geopolitics of where the country is. We I don't think we can afford to. Ignore Haiti because strategically it's very close to the United States. Uh, it's very close to the Dominican Republic. It's very close to Cuba. It's a, it's some place that we need to. I mean, if we're going to build nations in Afghanistan, God, we need to build ones in Haiti. I mean, I, I, it's right on our doorstep. It's in our best interests to make that a viable nation, real. Uh, so if, if we're in Afghanistan doing all these things, by God, we better fix Haiti. It's right here. What about those cynics that would turn around in this country and say, well, um, all very good, but uh, given that we're in an extremely bad recession in this country and probably worse uh, since the 30s, um, how do you expect us to go saving other nations? You know, how should American society look at that? How How, how should we look at that dreadful scenario where we have so such a great dilemma in this country um, that th- there are people who are going to say I think we need to look after ourselves right now well I think you answered the question yourself when you're talking about diseases and, and, and things like that it's, it's, Haiti is, is, is our neighbor um, aside from the humanitarian concerns if we allow it to fester uh, it will come back to us in the form of diseases that we'll have to deal with, uh, political situations that we'll have to deal with, um, uh, humanitarian situations we have to deal with. It will be cheaper to fix it now and to allow the Haitians to support themselves than to allow this to keep going on for generation after generation. So we have a chance now to correct things. We need to make Haiti uh, you know, a, 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 a um, self-reliant, more prosperous, um, less unequal country for 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 our own good, for strictly uh, so out of strict self-interest. It's our responsibility. It's our neighbor. Um, many many Americans actually are are living in Haiti because in Haiti Americans can own property and businesses. And uh, we're, ta- we're for better or worse, we're we're married. So we need 
we need to do what we can. When you were over there and working alongside relief workers, soldiers, UN officials, what was the demeanour of them? Were they uh, were they very um, downcast? Did they feel very depressed about the situation? Did they feel very let down by their own country in 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 their efforts, not not seeing the organisation that would would benefit them and benefit the people that they're helping. To a certain extent, I think um, for the most part, I think m- most of them were so focused on what they were doing that there wasn't really time for that. I mean, the the, the people who are over there who are working for these organisations are, are really really busy, and it's a hard job, and it's really not their fault um, that the situation is what it is. And I think they can't really let themselves get too me about those prospects they I think they they have their job to do and I think they're all very much committed to to doing the right thing and, and really really helping as they have um, so I, I didn't see um, much of that sort of thing people people were, were pretty upbeat as far as that goes so essentially the greatest problem that we have at the moment is the spread of disease uh, medical medical conditions over there being very poor um, and from what I'm understanding, not only from this program but by others, the spread of disease uh, over on the mainland from people like yourselves coming back, um, whether by ship or air or, or, or whatever it is, when, and really it doesn't matter whether you come back through the Dominican Republic or not, but it shocks me, I suppose, that there are no real controls uh, in the ports of entry here. Again, I'm not I'm not a doctor, so I really don't know what what would be involved in that. I I, I can't really speak to that. I don't I don't know what the threat is or isn't. But I think that um, you know that is the big problem. And the other big question is, you know, where is this ten billion dollars going to go? Uh, who's going to get that money? Who's going to be administering the money? You know, what what what? How how is the Haitian government going to sort of reconstitute itself? Who will be represented? Uh, how will the interests of the very, very poor be represented? Will there be more education? We need more education, I believe. Or will the money just evaporate in the ways that um, you know money has disappeared in the past? And um, I think that's that's another big question, aside from the, the health issue, which you so right, right, right to bring up. Now, for you personally, Andy, what uh, do you intend to do in the short term? I know that you're going to be returning there. Uh, what are what are your own goals in charting the the evolution of Haiti over these coming months? I'd like to be able to present people with information. I think that's that's my job is to gather information and to present it to people and to um, raise ideas and to talk like uh, just like we're talking today, David, um, about Haiti, so that we can have a discussion. Um, Pictures are only pictures. Um, as much as I love photography and something I've done for a long time and greatly enjoy, um, pictures are, are only pictures, and, and um, it, one has to do more. So I, I really want to try to help take part in a discussion to raise awareness um, of the issues in Haiti and um, to return and, and see from my own eyes what's happening and, and trying to report on that. Because I think that in some cases the mainstream media has not done a great job of, of reporting on what's happened in Haiti. So I think it is important that, that many of us who 
may have websites and blog and work outside the traditional uh, corridors of, 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 of media uh, have a chance to, to uh, have a voice too. Do you think that you will aspire to you know, in the past with news, they tend to focus on the disaster, on the desperation of people. There are now um, wonderful people um, like Sarah Terry in Los Angeles who who, who created this uh, photography project, uh, The Aftermath, that actually charts a country coming out of it. Um, she did it with Bosnia, which I realize is uh, slightly different to Haiti. But do you aspire to um, not only producing the work that you are at the moment, which is essentially reflecting the trauma, but also perhaps going back there in years to come uh, and charting the aftermath, which could be on the opposite scale, could be the beauty of something that comes out of it? I, I hope so. I mean, I would look forward to that, not for my sake, but really for, for the sake of the, the Haitian people. I mean, that, that, that would be a wonderful outcome. And also, I want to go back and try to photograph some of the things that aren't related to the, the, the disaster. I, I, I think it's very important to show the beautiful parts of Haiti, the parts of Haiti that uh, were not affected, and, and life there, and, and show what Haitian people are like so that people don't uh, get, a, um, uh, to get a better bigger picture of what the country is like because, I mean, uh, we need to know why it's worthwhile to make all this effort. And I think that when one sees the richness of the Haitian culture and one sees the, the, the life there, which is vibrant, and, and um, that I think that, that that helps us get a better picture of what the country is. It's, it's not just people being killed by, by hurricanes and, and earthquakes. There's more to it than that. It's a place tourists should go to. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, there are beautiful places where people should go and visit, maybe not for a vacation, but for an education. Uh, to, to finish off the program, Andy, can we just give our listeners a good idea of what we are facing? Uh, in these camps, uh, you, you talk about this, this golf course camp. Uh, in the camps across Haiti, how many people would you still say are living um, under temporary shelter at this stage? I would say anywhere from, and I, and I get everyone, everyone is guessing, but I would put the range at from three hundred to six hundred thousand people. Good lord! I, uh, the reason uh, I say that is uh, I'm trying to imagine how many people fit in the Superdome here, uh, which is sixty thousand, and there's at least five times that. That would make three hundred thousand. And so I'm guessing uh, anywhere from three hundred to maybe perhaps six or more, a million, uh, many, many, many. And even before the earthquake, many of these people are living in substandard housing anyway. So they so, are they are living in makeshift camps, which are in a, a dreadful state. Good yes. Lord, good Lord, Andy. I, yes. uh, we we are facing and yes. we are facing an absolute catastrophe here yes. as far as disease, not only for them but also for the mainland. If people are coming back with this, unless we do something immediately, are we not? Yes, yes, I uh, I totally concur. I, I think it's a the potential for a catastrophe of an, an enormous proportions exists. Uh, if there was a hurricane in certain near Port-au-Prince, absolutely no doubt. Uh, many, many, many die, and the consequences of disease, as you say, that could could affect us through the Dominican Republic and people going back and forth. You're absolutely right. What uh, can we do 
uh, in this country now. We can uh, force the charity's hands to release this funding. We can put more pressure on the UN. We can support those organizations who uh, want to go there, want to eradicate the disease, want to help. Um, what can we what can we do right now in this country to say hang on a minute um, let's sort this out let's let's get this done how how, how can we act on that I think that, I think that uh, we could call our, our representatives in Washington and and and, um, and tell them that we want accountability for the money that's spent there um, we want accountability for the money that we've given to the charities we want transparency in these transactions uh, we want to know where the tax dollars are going and make sure that they're correctly spent. We can give money to certain charities like Partners in Health, which is an excellent charity and, and uh, something that one can give uh, money to without having to be concerned about whether the money will be going in the, in the right place. Um, we need to, we, we should be careful about where we give money to, uh, where we donate. We need to research and make sure that these are the places that that are doing the, doing the right thing. But we are nevertheless not held up by such poor conditions over there that we cannot get companies in there, we cannot get uh, firms in there who can start cleaning up medical conditions, trying to eliminate disease, trying to put more controls on, on, on the access to that country and the access back into this country. I suppose so. I mean, again, I'm not I, I, I'm not being with the CDC or immigration. I really have no idea about that. I, I, I hope that it doesn't get to the point where we need to do that. I think the Know that, that we need to work hard to make sure that that, that, that doesn't happen, um, and, I, and I don't think we're quite there yet. But I certainly understand what you're saying. I mean, the possibility exists, and those are all good things. I, I just want to say, if, if people would like to see some of the photographs that I've made, there there, there are two websites that you can look at. Uh, one is uh, 100eyes.org. That's not um, that's that's the numbers 100eyes.org. And also my own website is andylevin.com. Um, and there are essays uh, on the refugee camps on, on the web now. Um, there, are, there, are many other, uh, there are many other sites that, that, that deal with Haiti as well, and you can Google them. Uh, and, and, and look for yourself. And just uh, very briefly, Andy, you're returning back to Haiti when? Uh, I hope to return in, in June. It's, it's kind of up in the air uh, as soon as I possibly can. Um, and um, you know, I, 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 I miss not being there. I feel that uh, I need to be there. Uh, it's just a matter of getting the, the, the support to go back. I'm hoping I'm hoping to be back in June. Well, I thank you uh, for all your efforts, and I hope that our listeners do uh, see your work, and uh, I certainly look forward to seeing your work as well, Andy. Thank you very much uh, for joining me thank today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. Uh, to our listeners, uh, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, program as much as I did. Uh, there are a uh, lot of... Um, uh, issues to look at, and I hope that you will join me um, as well in trying to uh, enforce some sort of immediate action in terms of Haiti. Uh, meanwhile, if you would like information on this or any other program in the series, you can visit davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, that's all we have for you today. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 